Morning, church. God is so good to us. So I want to talk to you this morning a little bit, go all the way back to Genesis. In the book of Genesis, we read the account where Jacob had deceived his father into giving him the birthright blessing that belonged to his brother. And when Esau found out about his brother's deception, we're told that he hated Jacob for what he had done, being a manipulator and stealing the blessing. So eventually, Isaac, the father, sends Jacob away with the order, don't go and marry a Canaanite woman. So as Jacob is heading to Haran to find him a wife, he takes a rest at a place called Bethel. And then he dreams of this ladder that reaches all the way to heaven. And the Lord said this in Genesis 28, 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, catch this, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Jacob didn't realize that the Lord was going to be with him everywhere he went. And the Lord was going to fulfill the promise he had spoken to him. So my question, believers, my questions for all of us this morning is this. How many times have we gone through something in our own lives only to later to realize like Jacob that surely the Lord is in this place and I did not realize it. Keep that in the back of your mind as you open your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as we continue in that verse-by-verse study. This week is kind of part one of a two-part series of seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. Last time in 1 Corinthians, Paul said his aim was always to win people. Remember what he said five times, that I might win the more that I might win the Jews, that I might win those under the law, that I might win those without the law, that I might win the weak. This wasn't saying that Paul changed his message or somehow compromised biblical truth, but what he was saying was, I'm not going to let my cultural bias interfere with the gospel being presented. Then Paul talked about that metaphor of being in a race, and he said, an athlete has to be disciplined. And how does that discipline look in the life of a Christian? And and Paul said, I run thus, not with uncertainty. You see, Paul knew who he was. Paul knew where he came from. He knew in whom he served. And he said, I run with certainty because I know in whom I believe. J. Vernon McGee said, Paul was not shadow boxing. He wasn't playing at this thing. He wasn't playing church. This was very real to the Apostle Paul. And so this morning, Paul's going to talk about being qualified through faith in Christ. Being qualified. So if you have your sermon notes, they're in your bulletin. Roman numeral one, they missed Christ. They missed Christ. If your Bibles are open, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 1. The Apostle Paul's words, Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea. The first word Paul says is moreover. 
which tells us that he's referring back to what he's already said. It means in addition to, moreover. 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul said, I discipline my body and bring it into submission, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul was saying how important it was to give up my personal rights if it causes my brothers and sisters to stumble. There in your notes. Now Paul starts with moreover, or in addition to. I don't want you to be unaware that all of our fathers became disqualified because they failed to realize that Christ was moving in their midst. Paul's going to give several examples of how the forefathers became disqualified, missing all of God's faithfulness. All through this chapter, Paul points out time and time again that those things you saw in the Old Testament that the children of Israel saw during the desert was Christ. That rock was Christ. It was Christ, and they missed Christ. One of the teachings that stumped the Jewish leaders back then, that still stumped some of the cults and some people today, is the teaching of the Trinity and the teaching of theophanies or appearances of God in the Old Testament. There in your notes. The teaching that causes confusion is the teaching of the Trinity and the appearances of God in the Old Testament as theophanies or Christophanies. GotQuestions.org displays a theophany this way. A theophany is a manifestation of God in the Bible, a visible appearance of God in the Old Testament period, usually but not always in a human form. Every place that God appears to somebody in the Old Testament foreshadows the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So when God took on the form of a man, came to live with us, we know that around Christmas time as Emmanuel, right? God with us. It comes out of Matthew chapter 1. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So some people get confused when they hear Jesus was God in the Old Testament and he showed himself many times to many different people. But in the very first verse of your Bible, if you have your Bible open to Genesis 1-1 and you see it, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and earth. And you would say, wait a minute, Rich, that says generic God. Well, if you go and study Hebrew just a little bit, the word for God in Genesis 1-1 is the Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim, which is a plural word describing a single God as a compound unity. Go home and study. So here it is. We believe in one God who exists within the Trinity, who is shown in three separate persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father clearly is God, and you probably would get no feedback on that whatsoever. The Father's God. Okay, we believe that. But how about the Holy Spirit being God? 1 Corinthians 2.4, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and in power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There in your notes, there was never a time 
when the triune God did not exist or a time when he will cease to exist. He is eternal and unchanging. So when we see a human manifestation of God in the Old Testament, it is Jesus Christ before he came to earth as a baby there in Bethlehem. So Jesus is God. John 1.18 No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. The Gospel of John was written to show who Jesus was. If you go all through the I am statements, of course, that's where Jesus shows that I am Yahweh. But the best one is John chapter 8, when he says, if you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And, and if you don't think the Jews understood what Jesus was throwing down, they instantly picked up stones to kill him for committing blasphemy, being a mere man, they say, claiming to be God. Okay? So next, Paul tells us some of the times when Jesus was there with the forefathers. But they, catch this, became disqualified. Why? Because they wouldn't take God at his word. They wouldn't trust him. When God said, I got this, I'm with you, they wouldn't believe, and because of that, they became disqualified. So Roman numeral two, Christ in their exodus. Christ in their exodus. Look at verse two with me. It says, all were baptized into Moses. In the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food. Now, baptized into Moses, that's a weird one. What does that mean? Baptized into Moses simply means that they submitted themselves under the command of Moses. They identified themselves with Moses and placed themselves under submission to his leadership. They identified Moses as their leader. So what does that mean for us, Christian? Now, as Christians, we publicly show that Jesus is our leader when we get water baptized. Baptism does not save us. But when we go into the pools of baptism, what we are saying publicly is, I have given my life to Jesus Christ, and I am identifying as a Christian, someone, he's my leader, he's my boss, and this is why I'm doing it. Because not only did he command it, but he also did it to show us what to do. Paul said in Romans 6, 3, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. So baptism is an act of faith or trust. Jesus said, be baptized. Jesus was baptized. So when we do it, you go into the water. If you don't mean it, all you are is wet. That water does nothing for you. But by faith or trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we go into that water, we are showing the world, he is now my leader. I identify with Jesus Christ. He's the boss. I am not. There in your notes, we are not saved by water baptism, but it is a command we are to follow, which Jesus not only instructed us to do, but he also did himself as an example 
for his followers. So again, water baptism, public confession of your faith, a demonstration of your commitment. By the way, water baptism is the first step someone should do after they get saved. I remember, gosh, this must be four or five years ago, I did a message on baptism, and somebody came up to me during the closing songs and said, I need to get baptized right now. I just gave my life to Christ. Baptize me right now. And I was like, but the order of service. <laughs> we can't do that. I did not say that. I kind of got Andy's att attention as he was closing in song by a little eyebrow, and he looked at me, got it. Kind of slowed the song down. I walked up, and I said, folks, I know it's lunchtime. I know you've been sitting here a while, but guess what? Here's what just happened. Would you please stay? He's going to get baptized, and we got to go get changed, and he's going to do a couple of songs, and we're going to do a baptism. How about that? Do you know not one soul left the building? Which was awesome. That's awesome that he had somebody to publicly declare his faith to. So water baptism, first thing you should do. Now, I personally know some family members who gave their life to Christ, and I won't mention her because I'll owe her $50, but <laughs> who, because she was baptized as a baby, waited and waited and waited, and one day she just came up and said, I need to get baptized. Yes, you do. And so she was baptized. But listen, here's the bottom line. Doing things God's way is always the best way. He sees the future. He knows your past. He knows what's happening. So when he says something, do it, you better do it. So even though, catch this, this is an important point. Even though we don't obey to receive a blessing, oftentimes we receive a blessing when we obey. Let, let me say that again. Even though we don't, obey to receive a blessing, oftentimes God blesses us when we obey. Do you believe that? Well, if you don't, I have a friend of mine who's going to come up and convince you, I hope. Summer, would you come up, please? Everybody welcome Summer. Okay. <laughs> Hi, my name's Summer. I'm nervous. <laughs> Sorry. Um, years ago, uh, for several years, my husband and I were trying to have a baby and no success. I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. Um, during that time, I was looking for something in my life. Um, I just felt kind of empty, and I was checking out churches. I found this church, and I became a Christ follower. Um, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> And it took a while. I was really nervous about being baptized. Rich would always ask, hey, are you getting baptized? And I would, uh, you know, just kind of be like, oh, no. And then one day we were during worship service, I felt, you know, I was still kind of doing the same things in my life at work and with coworkers. And I just felt like I wasn't giving myself enough to this new um, way of life. And I just felt compelled to ask to be baptized during worship. I was just like, I need to be baptized. It didn't, not right then, but <laughs> um, a few days later, um, the next week, I got baptized. Um, I just kept praying for a child with my husband, and um, a few weeks later after being baptized, we kind of, as a last, 
ever, went to a fertility clinic, and we found out we were already pregnant. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I just I thank him every day for my little boy, and you know I I still have a lot of issues, and um, I pray all the time for him to heal me. But yeah, it was pretty much a miracle what he mm. did for us. So that's it. <laughs> thank you. I didn't know if she would share or not when I called her last week. I was so I said, I want you to pray about it. She goes, no, I don't need to pray about it. I'm going to do it. And I thought, that is awesome. So thank you so much. So the children of Israel were baptized into Moses and into the cloud. As Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, this is what Exodus 13, 21 says. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and to lead the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. This is what David Guzik said about that cloud. He said the cloud of God's Shekinah glory overshadowed Israel throughout their journey from Egypt to the promised land. There in your notes. During the day, the cloud sheltered them from the brutal desert sun, and during the night, it burned as a pillar of fire. It was a constant, ready reminder of God's glory and presence. All passed through the sea. And of course, that's referring to the time in Exodus 14 where they were escaping Egypt, right? And God held back the Red Sea and they passed through on dry ground. As the Egyptians pursued, you know the story. The last Israelite got through and God brought down the waters on the Egyptians, on their chariots and their horsemen. And so then notice, verse 3, all ate the same spiritual food. Same spiritual food. Again, as the Israelites traveled in the desert, we read this, Exodus 16. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly, with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. So God provided manna. And then he also provided quail as well. Miracle after miracle, the Lord sustained Israel with provisions of food and water during their time in the desert. There in your notes. Notice the accusation from Israel towards Moses and the Lord in verse 3 of Exodus 16. You have brought us into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. I don't want a show of hands, but how many times have we accused God of not being enough? How many times have we accused God of being late in answering our prayers? God, if you were only there, this wouldn't have happened. God, if you would have just provided, this wouldn't have happened. You don't provide what I need. So Paul's explaining to these Corinthian Christians how they were disqualified because they did not trust. They were disqualified because of unbelief. Here's the truth. God will never take you through a desert experience simply to forget you 
or not provide for you, ever. God does not waste desert experiences in your life. In fact, Paul said in Philippians 4.19, My God shall supply for all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So if God brings you to something, he will bring you through something. I guarantee it. He never wastes a tear. He never wastes a desert moment in your life. He's got a plan. But then, verse 3 says the same spiritual food. So what does that mean? Okay, he rained down manna and he gave quail. What does that mean? Well, the Lord feeding them in the desert had more spiritual ramifications than spiritual food. The manna was a picture of the same spiritual food that we're going to learn about in a couple weeks in 1 Corinthians 11. It's the communion, the Lord's table. And we'll talk about that more in a couple of weeks. But obviously, the bread and drink were not literally the, bread, the, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. They were symbolic. They were there to show us that God was going to supply for our ultimate need. And that's our sin problem. That he was going to take the cross and cleanse us and give us eternal life. You see, there's two Christian sacraments that we kind of observe now. And that is, of course, baptism and communion. The word sacrament meant, catch this, an oath of allegiance to the Roman army. So every Christian now, for communion and baptism, shows an oath of allegiance to Jesus Christ. That's what they do. And so during all these times of the Lord's faithfulness with Israel, even the toughest desert moments of their history, God was there. And yet they failed to recognize him and they failed to trust him. And so they became disqualified because of their lack of faith. Roman numeral three. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the rock. Look at verse four. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. Followed them where? In the desert. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Very clear. They all drank from the rock there in the Exodus. That rock was how many years before Bethlehem? And yet Paul says, and that rock was Christ. Again, when the children of Israel were in the desert, they began to complain against Moses and the Lord again. I know this is hard to believe, but they were complainers. Good thing we're not. Exodus 17, 2. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? And why do you tempt, catch this, the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord and said, kill them all. No, he didn't. <laughs> Saying, pretty close, what shall I do with these people, Lord? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb and you shall strike the rock. And water will come out of it that the people may drink. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah 
because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord not among us? G. Campbell Morgan said, This was a generous miracle. Here again, the divine powers of Yahweh appear. And because of their unbelief, God still didn't smite them dead and yet gave them water. You would think after miracle after miracle after miracle, you're out here in the desert and manna comes from the sky and quail comes down and now water. And yet they still accuse God of not being good. There in your notes, masa means temptation. God remembered the way Israel tested him by not trusting him what he had promised. Deuteronomy 33.8, your holy one whom you tested at Massa and with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah. Again, how they tested the Lord was saying, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? By, by saying that stuff, they were basically saying God promised, but can we believe him? Can we trust him? Can we take him at his word? I don't know if he's trustworthy or not. And why God didn't smite them dead right there, I don't know. But then why God didn't smite me dead right where I am, I don't know either. There in your notes, doubting the Lord after he made a promise was their great sin. But then later, if that's not enough, but wait, there's more. They do it again. They run out of water again. And instead of just talking to the Lord, again, they question God's faithfulness. Numbers 20, verse 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, saying, Take your rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. There in your notes, this time, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water from them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. We all know the story, instead of speaking to the rock, Moses, because of his anger, goes and hits that rock a second time. And, and then he asks the children, must I smite this rock a second time? You see, the first time Moses was told to hit the rock because it was a picture of Jesus being smitten for our sin. But after that, when God tells him this time simply speak to it, Moses misrepresented God by hitting that rock a second time. You see, Jesus had to be crucified one time for sin. One time, that's it. Now all you got to do is, by faith, ask. Forgive me, Lord. That's it. And, and Paul fills us in on Moses' real problem. 1 Corinthians 10, 4, and that rock was Christ. He misrepresented the Lord. He misrepresented the Lord. And let me tell you, what a crying shame it is when you misrepresent God. Romans 6, 9, the Apostle Paul again, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also. Reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died one time. That was it. 
And now for the person who's received the free gift of salvation, all we need to do is speak to him. That's all we need to do. And by the way, if you've received the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have received his free gift of what he did on Calvary, now this is what we do. The writer of Hebrews tells us very clearly this is what we do. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Come boldly. You're a child of the Most High God. Come boldly and ask. God wanted Moses to trust, to follow and obey. But Moses, in his anger, smacks that rock a second time. Ouch. And because he did that, he was not allowed to go into the promised land. He couldn't lead these children that he led out of Egypt. He led them all the way up to the edge of the promised land. He could not go in because he disobeyed God. And in reality, that whole generation, except for two men, were forbidden from going into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb, the two spies out of the 12 that came back with the good report. But despite all the spiritual privilege... Despite all the blessings, the Israelites did not trust God. And so God said, I'm not pleased with you. When I get to heaven, I've often said, all I want to hear is, well done, my good and faithful servant. What does it look like to not please God? What does that sound like? There in your notes, Hebrews eleven six: without faith, that is trust, it is impossible not hard, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must first believe that he is and then believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently, that's dog on a bone, seek him. You see, faith is weighing the evidence of what God has said and weighing it against who God is and what he has said and when you believe him, that's called faith. In light of all the blessings, you think the Israelites would have been grateful. Instead, they complained. They didn't trust God. They didn't trust his timing. They didn't trust his blessing. They didn't trust in anything. And I read these stories, and of course, it's easy to look back and go, those boneheads. Yeah, but. In spite of all the spiritual privileges, in spite of all the spiritual blessings, Rich, you have not believed God. Ouch. So let's get practical this morning. Paul showed these Corinthian Christians that there were different times that Jesus was right there with them and they just wouldn't believe it. And so they became disqualified because they would not trust the Lord. And, and so what Paul is saying to these Corinthian Christians is the same thing I would tell to you this morning. Be sure that you're qualified in Christ. Be sure. It's not by your good works. It's not by anything you can do. It's simply by taking him at his word. Be sure, Christian, hear me. If I drop dead tomorrow, hear these words. Be sure you're qualified in the shed blood of Jesus Christ this morning. That's all that matters. It, nothing else matters. It's on the final exam. Be sure that you're qualified in Christ. Colossians 1.12 Again, the Apostle Paul, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. 
He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. There in your notes, the Lord wants a relationship with you, which starts with your redemption. And Jesus qualifies you to partake in his inheritance. We've all heard that saying that God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called, right? So it's not works or education or talents that qualify us. It's the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. The only quality you need is the blood of the Lamb. And once you have that, he puts your name in the Lamb's book of life. And that's it. You are qualified to be a partaker of his inheritance. And then, by the way, he promises, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll provide for all of your needs for my riches and glory. And all he's asking, it's the same thing he asked in the book of John, chapter 11. Do you believe this? He doesn't care what your mom believes or your kid believes or your neighbor believes, but do you believe this? Do you believe this? I think of all the desert experiences I've been through in life. Loss of both parents, loss of children, loss of finances, businesses that went belly up, different things that have happened I can go on and on and on, and all of you would say, yes, I've had that desert experience as well. And I look back and I go, praise God, he was with me through every one of them. Where would I be if God had not been with me through every one of those? So in order for me to please God now, according to Hebrews chapter 11, it's by faith. It's by taking him in at his word, by trusting him. I am qualified now to receive every spiritual blessing in him. And again, you're not qualified based on your performance or anything else, but you're qualified by God when you receive his son, Jesus Christ. Being righteous or having a right standing with God is all about qualification, and you're qualified by the cross. You know, our access to that qualification is the Lord Jesus Christ. And oftentimes I, I've thought about it, and I was even teaching in adult Sunday school this morning. Why did God choose the people he chose? I would have never chosen a liar like Abraham. I would have never chosen a murderer, adulterer like David. I would have chosen the good-looking people like us. But God, in his grace and foreknowledge, looked down and he knew those who would take him at his word. And that's all he's saying. Is, Trust me. Take me at my word. I have promised. Do you believe this? So this morning, as, as we go to prayer, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. And here's, here's where I'd really like you to go over the next two worship songs is, am I qualified to be a partaker in his inheritance. And again, that only happens by faith in the cross. That's the only question that matters. Nothing else matters this morning. Not where you're going to take me for lunch. <laughs> Didn't get any takers there. Now, none of that stuff matters. What matters is where are you going to spend eternity? You see, we're all eternal beings. The only thing is, the only thing that determines is our address is whether we have faith in Jesus Christ or not. You're going to live forever somewhere. And so this morning as we're worshiping, realize first of all to whom we worship. This mighty, huge God that was with the children of Israel all through their desert experience. By the way, he's been with you through every one of your desert experiences, whether you realize it or not. 
And now he would just say, do you believe? And, and so that's what I really like you just as we're worshiping, and as we're crying out to God, as we're offering him our hearts, ask yourself that question. Am I qualified to be a partaker in his inheritance? Have I received the free gift of salvation? Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. And Lord, it's amazing that you would choose people like us. But God, you know our hearts. You know who would receive. You know all those things. And God, you have promised that I'm with you wherever you go. <laughs> I'll be with you until the promise is fulfilled. And you're faithful and you're good. Your promises are yes and amen. And so Lord, I pray this morning, if there's someone in here this morning who's burdened, Lord, that you would touch their hearts. I pray that you would touch the sick. I pray, Lord God, that you would show us what it looks like to trust you like Summer trusted you. She didn't have any idea that when she went in the waters of baptism, simple obedience, that you already knew the baby that would come from her womb. And Lord, I pray this morning that if there's somebody in here this morning that doesn't know you, today would be the day of salvation, that Holy Spirit, you would go and that you would chase them down and that you would show them how much you love them and how much you want to save them and give them eternal life. So, Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you that I'm in your last will and testament. Thank you that you have made me qualified to be a partaker of your inheritance. So we're going to praise you now. We're going to worship the King of Kings. We're thankful people, and we love you in Jesus' name. And all God's kids said, Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you are blessed. If you'd like to find out more info about our church or any other resources like sermon notes or things like that, you can check out our website at livingfaithclamath.com. Make sure, if you haven't already, to subscribe or like us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You'll find us at Living Faith Fellowship Klamath Falls. Again, be blessed. Be blessed.